following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. We've arrived at the ninth arcanum, the hermit of the tarot. When we discuss Gnosis in our introductory courses, we typically talk a lot about the level of being, the level of consciousness, the level of perception in which we are at, and specifically to discuss and to examine how to ascend to a higher level of being, how to change, how to transform one's psyche into something radiant, something blissful. In order to ascend, we must first descend, as the magician card teaches us. By descending into the ninth sphere of the Kabbalah, the sphere of Yasod, we learn to reascend with power, with perception, with cognizance. We have to understand that there is always a higher level of being in front of us, moment to moment, instant by instant, second by second. And as we began this lecture with the practice or the mantra tomb, we were invoking the three primary forces into our psyche, into our mind, our emotional brain, our motor instinctive sexual brain, and the intellectual brain. So that force descends. It enters into our mind, our heart, our body, in order to radically transform us. The Valti, as we said, evokes the force of the Father, Keter, into our brain through the top of the pineal gland and the chakra sahasrara, the crown. The value crystallizes that power in our solar plexus, invoking the force of the Christ, the Son. The val M, as we mentioned, is the power of the Holy Spirit, in which those waters of Genesis crystallize into the semen, which must again be transformed and returned back to the source. 
So the mantra tomb is the descent of Christ. It's a very powerful mantra because we're literally invoking our being. The presence of God enters us. It descends from above. Now the work that we seek to perform through the Ninth Arcanum is about returning that light back to the source. And in order to ascend to a higher level of being, to return that light, we have to comprehend the obstacles and we have to overcome our suffering, our mind. We have to understand what in us obstructs our development, our path. So Arcanum 9 is precisely suffering. It is a painful Arcanum because we face all of our evilness, especially of a lustful type, of a sexual type. This Arcanum is also initiation to begin, to enter the higher mysteries, precisely through Arcanum 9's maxim, its teachings, that by entering and working with that energy, we can return to our light. Initiation, as Samael and Vior said, is very difficult. It is painful. And so Arcadam 9 is precisely the sufferings of repentance. We must repent, not from some moral, dogmatic sense that I am a bad person and that I deserve to suffer. But instead, it refers to seeing what inside of us creates our problems, our pains, our errors. This work is precisely about going against the flow of everything. Society, political systems, but more importantly, our own intellect, our habits, our desires. We have to see in us these psychological depths for what they are clearly, daily, cognizantly. Because if we don't see what we are doing, we're not doing anything. And that's the difficult truth. If we're observing ourselves or trying to observe the ego in action, but if our observation is unclear, we suffer certain psychological states, we have some understanding of our habits, but if we're not seeing into the depths each eye in action, it means that we're asleep. And so our column nine is about awakening, working with that power of the ninth sphere, Yasod. But precisely in terms of psycholo- uh, psychological work, we are confronting our own suffering and seeing in us what needs to be eliminated, what needs to change. This is repentance. Real repentance is when we understand how we make others suffer and how we suffer, and what we can do to change. So in this Arcanum, we're going to talk about Dante and his Divine Comedy, especially from the borrowed verses of John Milton, who wrote in Paradise Lost, Long is the way and hard that out of hell leads up to the light. And as we talked about in Arcanum 1, the magician orders us, Keter orders us, descend into the ninth sphere. 
Work with your energy every day. Comprehend your errors. Because by working with that power and confronting all of our evilness, all of our degeneration, all of our excuses, we can radically change and return the light of tomb back to the origin with wisdom, with power. The arcanum that we are discussing today is also the mysteries of alchemy, the ninth sphere, which in Arabic is Allah Kimia, or a conjunction of words from the Greek and the Arabic, the chemistry of God, the magic of God, which is also known as the tree of knowledge of good and evil, Tobve Ra, purity and impurity, which is deeply related to the hermetic wisdom, the science of Hermes. So we're going to look at the actual card. The most notable feature is a hermit walking in the wilderness, carrying a lamp, a candle on his left hand, as well as a staff of power, the staff of the shepherds, the staff of the masters, the spinal column. And that staff is our medulla, in which we have seven chakras, seven churches, seven centers of energy, which need to circulate the powers of divinity in a positive way. They do so precisely through the work of the lamp that the hermit holds in his left hand. This hermit is any person who is diligently practicing chastity on a daily basis. Never once in a while or occasionally, but daily consistently because the power of the hermit is the power of that energy which he carries in his left hand the lamp that lamp is a symbol of knowledge the mysteries of hermetic wisdom cognizance insight the the lamp of Hermes or the hermit is precisely the conservation of that energy because Hermes as his name represents etymologically, relates to the science of hermetically sealing oneself. If we want to change, we need energy. We need to conserve that power to transform it. It also is interesting that the hermit holds that lamp in his left hand. And if you remember from Arcanum 6, we talked about the left and right hand paths. The left hand path is the work with the left serpent, Ida the feminine, creative, sexual energies which rise from our gonads up to our brain and then to our heart. The right-hand path is the solar path, the path of Pingala, in which the solar, sexual, creative current rises up the spine to our brain and then to our heart. We talked about, in Arcanum 8 as well, the need to control the left side of the tree of life because the energies of the left of Ida, through fornication, they descend down the Cossacks to form the tail of the demons, the Kunda buffer organ. And the left-hand path is precisely where we hold the light. It's where we get the light. If you don't conquer evil in you, we have no light. You cannot have understanding. But by using the energies of Ida, 
and raising them up the spine, controlling, tempta- controlling the mind and its temptations. The left-hand path, we ascend towards the right. So the lamp of wisdom is precisely held in the left hand because it is from that power that has fallen in us that can raise us if we know how, if we practice this teaching. The lamp also reminds us of the Sabbath, which in this ceremony, a woman lights it, the candles, a Jewish woman of the house. And that teaches us that the feminine power is what guides us, the light of Christ, through the power of Ida. Precisely since the woman lights the Sabbath candles, passes her hands over the flame, and then to her eyes, and then over the head. So that means that through that light, the creative energies, we cleanse our perception. Without that light, we cannot see in the darkness of our abysses. And also the fact that when the woman, the Jewish woman of the Sabbath, covers and passes the hands over the head, performing magnetic charging of the, of the brain, also refers to how the chakra sahasrara must be opened, must be illuminated. Sabbath reminds us of Shabbat, Saturday, Saturn Day, the mysteries of Bina, the Holy Ghost. In the Quran, Prophet Muhammad spoke about the lamp of wisdom of Hermes, how he as a prophet had light from Al Ahzab, Surah 33, verses 45 to 46. O prophet, truly we have sent thee as a witness a bearer of glad tidings, and as a warner, as one who calls unto God by his leave, and as a luminous lamp. The word witness we discussed in our Kanamate. In Arabic is shahid, to see, to witness, which is where you have the Muslim declaration of faith, the shahidah. There is no God but God, and Muhammad is his prophet. So the two witnesses in us is Ida, Pingalah, the sexual energy that rises from the solar and lunar currents, masculine, feminine, Adam, Eve, or as we talked about in our Kanamate, Vav and Zayim. So this light, this lamp that the hermit holds, represents how anyone teaches this doctrine, showing light to give to other people. Because if you want to walk the path of the hermit, to be a disciple of your being, to fulfill the will of your being. We have to help humanity in some degree, in some way. We give light, not necessarily by teaching gnosis, but by fulfilling our obligations, our responsibilities. Some job or vocation that really involves some skill we have in order to benefit others, to help others develop, to change. We show light in our mind and give it to other human beings based on our actions, our psychological qualities. So we may not be a missionary in Gnosis, but our sacrifice for humanity, our work for humanity may be in our job with our family, with our friends. We show light and teach others how to change by example, by being what we want to be in our intimate depth. 
this hermetic wisdom, the science of the conservation of energy, was re- referenced in a very famous verse of the Quran from the Surah 24, known as the light verse. Many Muslim initiates have commented on this verse for centuries. But they haven't really explained or given the Kabbalistic meaning of that teaching. But we'll be explaining this today. The 24th surah reminds us of the Kabbalistic addition, 2 plus 4 equals 6. 6 is the sixth sephirah of Kabbalah, the tree of life, Tifereth, the heart. That light is generated in our heart when we work with the sexual energy. This is the light verse from, or verse 35 from Surat al-Nur. Allah is the light of the heavens and the earth, meaning the, your heavenly states of being and your body, which needs to be charged by the light of Christ. The example of his light is like a niche within which is a lamp. The lamp is within a glass, the glass as if it were a pearly white star lit from the oil of a blessed olive tree. Neither of the east nor of the west, whose oil would almost glow even if untouched by fire. Light upon light. Allah guides to his light whomever he will. And Allah presents examples for the people, symbols, experiences, archetypes. And Allah is knowing of all things. That star, that light, is your consciousness, which emanates from God within you. The oil is, of course, very symbolic, as we've discussed many times. The word for oil in Hebrew is shemen, the semen. So the olive tree is also mentioned in the book of Revelations. The two witnesses, the two olive branches that raise the oil of God from the chalice of our organs and sex to the mind. So neither of the east nor of the west. In Kabbalah, the east is Tiferet, because that's where the sun rises, the Logos. Christ enters our heart. So Tiferet is the east. And astrologically, Tiferet is associated with the sun as well as Venus. But neither of the west. So on the bottom of the tree of life, we have Malkut, where the sun sets, when the energies finally descend on that tree of life and enter your body. That's the west, the darkness, the chaos. And so the light must return up the spine, this staff of the patriarchs, which the shepherd or the hermit carries. The hermit also wears a protective mantle, a mantle of Apollonius, which reminds us of Apollo, the god of the sun, the solar logos, a representation of Christ, the Christic power. As we've explained in our courses and throughout the writings of Samael and Vior, we must learn to create the solar bodies, the solar vehicles, which we discussed in Arcanum 2, Bet, the house of God. We must create a solar mind, a solar heart, a solar will, a solar mental body, a solar astral body, a solar causal body. These vehicles are means by which light 
can express in us, and which these vehicles are only created through a matrimony, through the power of sexuality. The Quran also speaks about these garments, these vestures, these vehicles that the initiate wears in order to express light. So think of these bodies, a solar mind, a solar heart, a solar will, as some type of light bulb. It's a vehicle through which your being can manifest, can express. So if you remember that quote from the light verse of the Quran, it's a niche, it's a lamp. Those bodies are that lamp in which the light of your being can express. The Quran speaks about the garment of reverence, the vehicles of the soul, in a very implicit manner, which we'll discuss in brief. This is from Surah Al-Araf, verse 26. Children of Adam, we have bestowed upon you raiment to conceal your private parts and as adornment. Of course, to conceal one's private parts refers to chastity, to not emit the asexual power. But the raiment of reverence, that is best. That is from the signs of Allah, the being, the logos, that perhaps they will remember. The word for raiment or garment of reverence is libas al-taqwa. The word taqwa is reverence, respect for the commandments of the being. It comes from the word uh, ataka, which means to shield, to protect, to guard. And the Quran often references how the solar initiates must shield themselves from the fires of the demons, the hell realms. The way that we escape the fate of devolving in the lunar spheres of hell is by creating solar vehicles so that we vibrate with Christ above the higher dimensions. So reverence is precisely relating to our Kanam 9. To revere, to respect the power of sex and to use it for God. We see a palm tree in the back of this image, which represents victory. To see a palm tree in dreams means success, victory. And victory, as we discussed in Arkanum 7, relates to Netzach, which in Hebrew means victory itself, to conquer. And of course, Netzach is our mind, the moon, mechanicity, mistaken habits. And by learning to conquer the mind, we receive the power of the Logos. What you see in the top of this glyph, the sun, the light, the solar energies. We see three hands emanating from the Christ, Osiris, Ra, referring to the three primary forces, Keter, the Father, Chokmah, the Son, Binah, the Holy Spirit. The moon in this card is ascending because when we perform acts of transmutation, pranayama, runes, sacred rites of rejuvenation, mantras, we're raising the lunar energies of sex to our brain. And by circulating that power through our spine, the chakras awaken, they rotate positively, clockwise, as if viewing a clock from in front of us, 
our chakras spin that same direction from left to right. And as we are circulating that power daily, we're charging our battery, our spinal column, so that the three primary forces can descend inside of us. The powers of Tum, the Logos. In the heart. In Tifereth. Because the heart, Tifereth, is governed by the sun. But also the power of Yasod, the moon, must rise to Tifereth. We ascend that mountain of initiation by working with the moon. So the word transmutation, as we've discussed previously, refers to mutation, to mutate, to transform, to change. Trans means to carry over. So we're transforming the matter of the semen into fire, light, wisdom. In this path of initiation, in this arcanum, the hermit walks alone in solitude, in silence. When we are working in this path and we're diligently conserving our energies, we face many ordeals, many trials, many sufferings as a test to see if we will be faithful to what divinity is teaching us about what we need to do about our mind, the moon, our mechanicity, our egos. We discussed previously that the ego is the moon. It is suffering. The light of the sun is happiness, bliss, compassion. In us, typically, that power of the Logos is eclipsed by our habits, the darkness of our mind, our mistakes. And when you enter the mysteries of this card, you see that for a fact. Not something hypothetical, but something that you witness directly in yourself. As you're generating light, you see that really we carry so many defects inside, which are quarrelsome degenerate, very negative, and that these egos, when we're self-observing, create many problems for us, but also for other people. And when you see that in yourself, when you as a consciousness perceive that really we have a multiplicity inside, we feel despair. It is very challenging. It is disturbing. When we realize that our consciousness has been fractured it is conditioned by multiple infrahuman psychic elements. Anger, pride, fear, lust, laziness, greed, avarice, and all that legion of demons we have inside. Hearing about it is one thing, but seeing it is our count of nine. Perceiving it and knowing it for oneself. I mentioned to you as we were greeting each other today that I have a new job. And I was meditating and asking for guidance internally. Usually when I, when I have something big coming up, I obviously when we're afraid of certain new situations, we feel the urgency to do more work, to change. So I was meditating extensively, and I remember in the astral plane, I invoked Samael and Lior. I looked to the sky, I asked them, in my new, job, my new job, initiating this new employment, what's going to happen? I wanted to know. I looked in the sky 
And it was very clear because I was transmuting a lot. If the sky and the astral plane is cloudy, it means that the intellect needs more energy. We need to clear the cloudiness of our thoughts, the obscurations that inhibit us from observing ourselves and seeing our egos. When the sky is clear, it means your consciousness is very sharp. Your insight is very profound. You can see your egos as they emerge and you don't identify with them. So what happened was I looked at the sky and I got my answer. I saw a giant sun with a lot of light, very beautiful, powerful. And then a moon came, eclipsed it. And I could see the halo of, or I forget the term that you use for the, very, the, the rim, limbus or light that emerges on the outside. And I remember the moon was blocking that light. For a second, I, you know, intuitively I knew the meaning. I felt that that light was you know, obviously very positive, meaning my being is very strong. It was giving me, trying to help me. But I realized my, my problem is my mind. The moon got in the way. It was eclipsing that light. And I felt a lot of suffering for that because before going to the day one of my new job, I felt a lot of hesitation. I was fearing that certain problems were going to arise, which they did. But I prayed a lot and I realized that by working on my own defects and seeing at my job how certain egos emerge that cause problems, I was able to control the mind, see the egos as they are, and not let mechanicity pull me into mistakes. So obviously, we make many errors, even if we have light or if we're generating light, we still make mistakes. So I was preparing this lecture and then I remembered that experience and I realized that, well, the sun and the moon are in this card. The moon is eclipsing our sun and I was being shown through that experience that I was going to suffer a lot in this new job, this new place. But of course, that's good to realize that. That's our Kratom 9, to enter into initiation. Because I was initiating a new job, a new employment, a new way to ensure that I can put food on my table. But the moon in us, our habits, our desires, tend to obstruct the light of our God. So after this experience, I went to my work, and of course it was a mixture of things. There were good things and there were bad. There was light and there was the moon, symbolically speaking. There were good and bad things mixed. And I realized by refraining from acting upon my ego in certain situations, I was able to develop better relationships with new people, getting to know people and working with them effectively. So by comprehending the lunar habits we have inside, we generate light. We have to destroy the moon, which is represented by Prophet Muhammad cleaving the moon in Islam. It's a symbol. How... In Kabbalah, we have to go against our habits, our egotism, our desires. Our Kanam 9 also relates to the nine heavens of Kabbalah, but also the nine hells, which are within the interior of the earth, within the fifth dimension, the negative aspect of the fifth dimension. We see that this card is governed by the Hebrew letter Tet in the top right corner, which we're going to talk about at the end of this lecture. This card also relates to Mars, 
and to Aries. Precisely because Tet is the serpent. It is the serpent that rises up the staff of the spine. We spoke about Vav, the spinal medulla, in Arcanum 6. Tet is the serpent that rises up the spine through the power of Samael, Mars, the sexual strength of God. So I mentioned to you that this Arcanum is an Arcanum of suffering, of ordeals. And as Samael and Vior stated, there is only one door left for the unworthy, and that is the door of repentance. Arcanum 9 is repentance. So many students often write to us about certain struggles they have with with, uh, vices, habits, qualities they want to work on. So I explain that repentance is comprehension. When we feel that integrity of the soul and responsibility for our mistakes, that we created certain egos that need to die, we feel sorrow, we feel pain in the heart. That's repentance. And we acknowledge that we don't want to go back to those habits because we know that if we feed them, they're only going to get stronger and they'll cause more pain. So repentance in its true sense is about seeing it for what it is. We have to observe the fault, the certain ego in action with its thoughts, feelings, and impulses. When we see that we are not that ego, we can then learn to comprehend it. So that by comprehending it, we extract the soul that is trapped in that element in order to return it back to God. That's repentance. Without that, without seeing our faults, we cannot ascend to God. So there's a Sufi initiate, a female master by the name of uh, Aisha. She wrote uh, a book called Principles of Sufism. She explains that repentance, Taubah in Arabic, is the beginning of real gnosis, of real change, which is what the quote from Samael and Vior stated. There's only one door left for the unworthy, which is the door of repentance. So I'd like to relate some of these quotes for you precisely because it's very practical and it's uh, very insightful. God the Exalted has said, Turn to God together, O believers, that you might be successful. The Exalted has said, Seek forgiveness from your Lord, then turn to Him in repentance. And the Exalted has said, O you who believe, Turn to God with sincere repentance. The exalted has said, And those who do not turn in repentance, they are the transgressors. And the exalted has said, Truly God loves those who turn in repentance, and he loves those who purify themselves. There are similar sayings in the noble verses of the Quran. So what does it mean to purify? We meditate on the ego daily. We see an ego at work, in the car, in the bedroom, at home, with family, with friends. And then we seek to comprehend it deeply. We meditate on it. We retrospect our day, review it in our imagination. And then when we comprehend each ego in a certain scene of action, we ask for annihilation. That is how we purify ourselves. According to the lexicons, Taubah means to return. This is an Arabic word. Tabah, Abba, and Anaba 
all have one meaning, which is return. Tabah is similar. People say the milk, the milk returned to the udder. The word for returned is thabah. So what does this mean, this Arabic proverb, or this saying, the milk returned to the udder? Of course, we know that milk is a substance that resembles semen. And as we discussed in Arcanum 2, the milk of the high priestess from her breast is wisdom, hermetic knowledge, which is what we nourish ourselves with in meditation. So when that milk returns to the udder, it's better said if that milk never leaves the udder. We return, though, that energy, that creative matter up our spine to our brain and then to our heart. This is the mysteries of sexual alchemy. She continues, explaining some of the practical essence of repentance. Outward repentance is the return from blameworthy actions to praiseworthy ones and from foul words to righteous ones. Inner repentance, with which the Sufi folk are concerned, is to turn away from all things and toward God, mighty and glorious. Repentance is not valid without three things. One, remorse for sin. Two, abstention from it. And three, the resolution not to return to it. When one of these conditions is not met, repentance is not valid. This is the rule for repentance for sin between the servant and his Lord. We talked about in Arcanum 1, the magician, that there are four stipulations, four requirements in order to be a priest. One, to suffer or to know how to suffer. Two, to know how to abstain. Three, to know how to be silent. And four, to know how to die in the ego. Which is something you see paralleled in this Sufi text. One, one must have remorse for sin. One must know how to suffer. To be patient. To recognize our errors and to realize that if we're going to change, it's going to be gradual. It doesn't happen overnight. And when we see our sufferings and our egos and our defects, we learn to bear them patiently until we fully purify ourselves. One also must abstain and resolve not to go back to the defect, the habit in question. And so when we resolve not to go back, it means that we're dying to the egos daily, moment by moment. It's interesting that the word taubah, the return, the repentance, is the name of Surah 9 of the Quran. Each surah of the Quran begins with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim in the name of Allah, the compassionate, the merciful. However, in Surah 9, it is the only surah in the Quran that does not begin with that blessing. There is no Bismillah there. And the question is why? It's because in Arkadam 9, there's no guarantee that one will be successful. There is uncertainty. There is suffering. There's a certain Sufi master explained, or a certain Muslim initiate explained that the reason why this surah does not begin with that prayer is because it is, in this surah you have the severing of a covenant and the declaration of conflict. 
which is the opposite of some state of certainty or security of any blessing. If you remember from the Old Testament, the second day of Genesis, there is no uh, statement at the end of that day that it was good. All the days of Genesis have the statement, and God created this and that, and it was good. And the second day of Genesis, relating to Yesod, the ninth sphere, there is no such statement. It means that through the work of Yesod, the sexual energy, there is no guarantee. Because it is a very difficult path. I'd like to read a little bit from Surah 9 to kind of preview some of the things we're going to be elaborating upon in this lecture. This surah is very challenging, precisely because the language of the Quran is very severe. Severe for the ego. And so when the Quran talks about the unbelievers, the disbelievers, the unfaithful ones, it's referring to our mind, our egos, our defects, which don't believe in anything we're trying to do here. We may come to class and we might want to change. We feel that longing, that sincerity, that hope. And yet, when we get in our car, someone cuts us off, we swear, we feel that, that agitation, that anger. That anger does not believe anything about what God wants. So therefore, we look inside. We're not believers. We're unbelievers. We want to become believers. And as we talked about Belzebub, he was a black magician, an unbeliever. But for his credit, he recognized his mistake. This is from Surah 9. I'll pause and explain a few of these terms because they have a lot of profundity. The surah opens with a declaration of severance of connection between Muhammad and the black magicians of Arabia. So if you remember from history, Prophet Muhammad fought many battles against the uh, Quraysh, or the Muslim tribes of Arabia. Who were the black magicians of that area? who wanted to stop him from spreading his light, his teaching. And so this few verses of this surah goes in between explanations of combating the unbelievers outside, but also combating the unbelievers inside. So it's mixed, it's dualistic. This is a declaration of disassociation from Allah and his messenger to those with whom you had made a treaty among the polytheists. The word polytheists in Arabic is mushrikin. The word mushrikin comes from the word shirk. That word means to share, to associate, to confide in. So how do we associate with things other than the being? This is a very Muslim philosophy, very much a Muslim philosophy I'm teaching here. People think that if you don't follow some strict observance of the Muslim tradition, in an exoteric sense, it means that you associate with things other than God. Instead of praying five times a day, uh, doing certain rituals and prayers of that tradition. But the truth is that psychologically, when we respond with hatred, with fear, with lust, to any situation, we're associating with things other than God. Because God is not those egos, those things. So we are practicing shirk, polytheism, when we worship all of our demonic egos in our mind. 
To worship God and the unity of divinity is precisely the Arabic doctrine of Tawhid. Tawhid means the doctrine of unity. And this is a very common saying that in Islam that they say God is one. But having that idea is, is very simple. But psychologically speaking, we look inside, we see that we are not a unity, we are a multiplicity. To have unity inside is to kill every ego in holy war, jihad. That's the meaning of striving against oneself. So the way that we affirm the unity of the being is by annihilating the ego completely. And we'll talk about this in Arcanum 13 as well, relating to that prayer we did at the beginning of this lecture. 13,000 rays has the moon. 13,000 rays has the sun. 13,000 times may the enemies I have within repent. Of course, you see the moon and the sun here, referring to how we work with that energy. And Arcanum 13 is the mysteries of death. So travel freely, O disbelievers, throughout the land during four months. But know that you cannot cause failure to Allah, the being, and that the being, Allah, will disgrace the disbelievers, al-kafirin. Kafirin is the Arabic term for disbeliever. It doesn't refer to people who don't follow Islam. A disbeliever is pride, anger, hate, lust, fear, resentment, those psychological elements don't believe anything we're trying to do. And it is an announcement from Allah and His Messenger to the people on the day of the greater pilgrimage that Allah is disassociated from the disbelievers, and so is His Messenger. Again, this, there's a political statement here. How Muhammad was going against the black magicians of Arabia. That's one level of meaning that everybody knows. Or in a superficial way. But psychologically, it's something else. Because Muhammad in us is Tifereth, our will, our willpower. As we discussed in our lectures on Sufism, the Sufi path of self-knowledge. So if you repent, that is best for you. But if you turn away, then know that you will not cause failure to their being, Allah. And give, t- give tidings to those who disbelieve of a painful punishment, the devolution in the infernal worlds. Except there are those with whom you have made a treaty, among the polytheists, and that they have not been deficient toward you in anything or supported anyone against you. So what is this treaty? The word treaty in Arabic is abd. You can transliterate it into, as the English letters, A-H-D. Or the Arabic alif ha-dal, ad, which reminds us of od, and Kabbalah. Od is the solar serpent. Or Obd, you can say in Kabbalah. Ob is the lunar serpent. Ida pingala. Od and Obd. Od or Ob is uh, the solar energies. So to make a treaty with God is to be chaste, to raise the energies, circulate them. That's the treaty with God. So we are disbelievers. We are black magicians because we have ego. We have elements that are destructive. And in order to make a treaty with God is by practicing chastity. And the staff of the patriarch we see held by this hermit is precisely the willpower we need to do that circulation of energies. And when we circulate those forces daily, we're we're fulfilling the covenant 
with God, the treaty with God. Ad in Arabic. It's, it's interesting that the word Ad in Arabic, Alif Ha Dal, has a Hebrew equivalent in Aleph He Dalet. If you want to spell the word unity in, in Hebrew, you switch the H sound in the middle, make it a Chet sound, the Hebrew letter Chet in Kabbalah. Aleph Chet Dalet Echad, which means unity. So we talked about Chet, the eighth letter of Kabbalah, how it refers to the two serpents, Ida Pingala, that rise up the spine, intertwining to the brain. Now, the letter Chet is the power of Chaya, life. The Jews say Lachayim when they do a toast. Because we are raising the energies esoterically up to the mind, the chalice of the brain, and then to the heart. So when you are working with your breath, Hey, the fifth letter of Kabbalah, and you're transmuting your energies with your breath, you're raising that power up, Chet, the two serpents, up your spine. So Ad becomes Echad. So, when you are inhaling through one nostril, you're raising the energies up that, ener- that current through pranayama. When you hold it, the energy charges and crystallizes and saturates the brain. When you exhale through the other nostril, you send it to your heart. So that's the procedure. And then with pranayama or any transmutation exercise, you're raising the creative energies up the, from sex to the brain and to the heart. With your breath, remember that the, in the first lecture we talked about Aleph, which is the wind, the breath, prana. And He also relates to the breath as well, because the letter H is the wind. When you're using your breath through mantras, you're circulating that power. With the breath, when you raise that energy up the two channels of the spine, He becomes Chet, the power of life, Chaya which charges the mind. So in, in Arabic language, there's something similar. Ad becomes Echad. So the Jews pronounce the Shema, the declaration of faith, which is similar to the Muslim declaration of faith. The Jews say, they cover their eyes in synagogue. They say, uh, Shema Yisrael. They should say, Yot Chava Eloheinu, Yot Chava Echad. They say, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Because they don't like saying Jehovah directly. It's a sacred name. But the word Echad means unity. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. And the Muslims in their Shahida, their declaration of faith, say, there is no God but God. And Muhammad is his prophet. There is only one God. Just differences in language, but the, meaning, the real meaning is the same. You declare the unity of God by annihilating the multiplicity of egos and by observing the covenant, chastity. So in this surah, the Prophet Muhammad continues and talks about waging a holy war against these defects. And when the sacred months have passed, then kill the polytheists wherever you find them and capture them and besiege them and sit and wait for them in every place of ambush. But if they should repent... 
establish prayer and give zakat and let them go on their way. Indeed, Allah is forgiving and merciful. This verse has been criticized by many people as being dogmatic and hate-inspiring. Hate that if you're not Muslim, as an exoteric faith, that one must be killed. But these egos that you have to ambush, these, def- these unbelievers you must ambush are your own egos. You do it by being vigilant, watchful in times of war, moment by moment, as Samayal and Bior explains. And if one of the polytheists seeks your protection, meaning those black magicians who come such as through these classes and they want to change, then grant them protection so that they may hear the words of Allah. Then deliver him to his place of safety. That is because they are people who do not know, who don't have knowledge. Marifa, Gnosis. How can there be for the polytheists a treaty in the sight of Allah and with his messenger except for those with whom you made a treaty at Majid al-Haram, the holiest mosque. So as long as they are upright towards you, be upright toward them. Meaning those black traditions who come to these lectures and certain events we hold, if they're not conjuring us, treat them with respect. And even if they conjure you, just defend yourself psychologically with mantras, but don't identify. So as long as they're upright with you, be upright towards them. Indeed, Allah loves the righteous. How can there be a treaty while if they gain dominance over you, they do not observe concerning you any pact of kinship or covenant of protection? They satisfy you with their mouths, but their hearts refuse compliance. And most of them are defiantly disobedient. So this happens a lot. We get people who come to lectures who are demons, black magicians, and they say that and they say they really want to study this doctrine, but psychologically, clairvoyantly, it's very defiant very angry. They have exchanged the signs of Allah for a small price and averted people from his way. Indeed, it was evil that they were doing. They do not observe toward a believer, al-mumin, in Arabic, any pact of kinship or covenant of protection. And it is they who are the transgressors. But if they repent, establish prayer, and give zakat, then they are your brothers in religion, like Belzebub, who repented. And we detail the verses for a people who know. And if they break their oaths after the treaty and defame your religion, meaning those black magicians who try to hurt you in the astral plane, then fight the leaders of disbelief by conjuring them. For indeed, there are no oaths sacred to them. Fight them that they may cease. Defend yourself through prayer and, and certain rituals and practices. Would you not fight a people who broke their oaths and determined to expel the messenger and they had begun the, the attack upon you the first time? Do you fear them, meaning these sorcerers, or your own egos? Because a black magician can only manipulate you if you have ego. Do you fear them? But Allah has more right that you should fear him if you are truly believers. Fight them. Allah will punish them by your hands meaning your egos, your defects, because you are his willpower, Tifereth, who has to fight against that. Allah will punish them by your hands and will disgrace them and give you victory over them and satisfy the breasts of a believing people and remove the fury in the believer's hearts and Allah turns in forgiveness to whom he wills and Allah is knowing, wise. Do you think that you will be left as you are while Allah has not, the being has not yet made evident those among you who strive, 
The word for striving in Arabic is jihad, mujahidah, to fight against the ego. Allah has not, would, do you think that you would be left while Allah has not yet made evident those among you who strive for his cause and do not take other than Allah, his messenger, and the believers as intimates and Allah is acquainted with what you do. What does that mean? Meaning to take our egos as our companions when really they're our enemies. We shouldn't be a friend to anger, lust, pride, etc., So this is the path of the severance of the covenant with the ego in order to work in repentance to ascend like Beelzebub into the mysteries of initiation. Dante discusses the path of initiation in his Divine Comedy. Precisely through the three mountains he discusses. We have Inferno, Purgatorio, Paradiso. In his, nine, in his Divine Comedy, or better said, the Inferno, he discusses the nine hells of Kabbalah. So that poem is not just something to entertain people as a work of literature. It's psychological. There's symbols in that poem itself. Of course, Dante discusses how the soul descends into the nine hell realms after failing the covenant. Arcanum 9, again, is initiation. The ninth sphere of the middle of the earth relates to the mysteries of Yasod, the Kabbalah, the creative energies. Because your body is an earth. In the ninth sphere of your body, you have the sexual organs. But also psychologically, we have nine hells, nine infernal dimensions, relating to nine planets, the moon, Mercury, Venus, the sun, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune. As, abo- as below, so above. You have nine heavens relating to those planetary influences, astrologically speaking. It doesn't literally mean that those hell realms relate to the actual planets. There is a correspondence. But those planets represent something psychological. Of course, Mars relates to anger. The moon relates to lust, etc. The ninth arcanum, or the number nine, is the number of Genesis, of creation, In mathematics, if you take the number 9, multiply it by any other digit, the sum of that number equals 9. For example, 2 times 9 is 18. 1 plus 8 is 9. 4 times 9 is 36. 3 plus 6 is 9. 5 times 9 is 45. 4 plus 5 is 9. refers to how the power of the ninth sphere, Genesis, mathematically, relates to how the creative energies of God multiply incessantly when we circulate that power. The number nine also relates to gestation, the nine months we were in the womb of our, divine, of our mother, physically. Likewise, symbolically, we must be nine months, nine degrees within the womb of our divine mother in order to generate the solar bodies. Initiation is obtained by descending into the hell realms, our own psychology, in order to work with the power of the ninth sphere, the power of Lucifer. You remember that in the Divine Comedy? Lucifer is in the ninth sphere. His, I believe his chest is up to a bed of ice. And he is devouring the three traitors, Judas, Brutus, and Cassius, representing our own ego. Judas is the demon of desire, lust. Brutus is the demon of the heart, evil will. 
And Cassius is the demon of the mind. Or you could say in Christian terms, Judas, Pilate, Caiaphas. And different traditions refer to those three traitors in different ways. It refers to how in our three brains, our ego betrays us moment by moment. And so in order to change that, we have to descend and work with that power. Which is why Dante, in describing the path of initiation, always put or emphasized that in order to ascend up to paradise, you have to first descend into klipot, into hell. That relates to, again, to the fact that in Surah 9 of the Quran, there's no Bismillah. There's no, in the name of Allah, the compassionate, the merciful. Or in the second day of Genesis, God did not say this day was good because it's uncertain whether one will succeed. It's dangerous. So, in the Inferno of Dante, Canto 3, verses 1 through 9, we find the following. Through me the way to the city of woe, through me the way to eternal pain, through me the way among the lost. Justice moved my maker on high, divine power made me, wisdom supreme and primal love. Before me nothing was but things eternal, and I endure eternally. Abandon all hope, you who enter here. It means that when you're working with, when you begin the work with the sexual energy, those people who are fornicators, God says, abandon all hope. Because you're not going to succeed. If you're chased sometimes, but fornicate in other days, it has to be consistent. So the nine spheres relates to initiation. Precisely because within the center of the earth we find the number of the Holy Eight. We talked about in Arcanum 8 how the sign of the infinite is in the center of the earth. The circuitry of God. The powers of divinity circulate in the form of the eight in the very core of the planet, of any planet in the solar system or galaxies. Exactly. Because that's a, that parallels our own physiology, our body. We have the symbol of the Holy Eight in our three brains. The circuitry of energies of the caduceus of Mercury, Ida Pingala, the serpents, rise from sex to our brain. They intertwine in the heart, forming the Holy Eight within our body. So in order to descend into the earth, as in the myth of Dante, we descend into our own earth through meditation and the astral plane, through experiences. We meditate, we silence the body, the mind, the heart, the three brains when we meditate. In order to work with that energy, the caduceus of Mercury, we descend into our own infernos psychologically. We confront hatred, laziness, gluttony, and the legion of defects we have. That symbol of the Holy Eight is in the ninth sphere with the internal planes. And symbolically, when you're doing this work of initiation, you may have the experience in the astral plane where, personally, I've had this happen where when I first started Gnosis, I found myself near a schoolyard by my old house. And uh, a certain demon was attacking me. And I was, I was still a novice trying to learn how to protect and conjure this entity. A master came and said, descend into the earth. 
So I obeyed him while he turned around and stopped this demon from harming me. I remember in the astral plane going to the earth where I entered a crypt. This crypt was filled with sepulchers, dead bones, decay. And it symbolizes how in this work, when we initiate this path, we descend into the earth psychologically. We confront our own degeneration, as I stated earlier. But if you abandon, but if you really abandon all hope, then you won't leave that, that, that cave, so to speak. But I wanted to go further, and I, entered out of, I exited out of that cave, and I found myself in Egypt, in the astral plane. I had other experiences afterward where I went to the Pyramid of Egypt, where they let me into their temple, and they were teaching me things that are not relevant for this lecture, but I just want to emphasize that they invite you to the higher mysteries by first descending. So it's a symbol of confronting oneself. This path of descent into the inferno is represented by many mythologies. We have the Greek god Hephaestus, the Roman Vulcan, the god of forging, metalwork, blacksmithing. He creates the armor and sword of Mars in order to help that deity conquer the heart of Venus, Aphrodite. A symbol of how we work in sexual alchemy to create the solar bodies, the armor of God, the garment of reverence, Libaz al-Taqwa in Arabic. Heracles cleans the stable of Augeus, cleans it for all the animal filth that's inside of it, symbol of the mind. And of course, in the ninth sphere, Kabbalistically speaking, we find two types of psychology which define who we are, but also all of humanity. We find that in the sphere of, Alberta said, in, in the ninth, in in the nine hells, there are two different idiosyncrasies. There's the sphere of Lilith, the sphere of Nahimah. Lilith is the demon of homosexuality, pederasty, lesbianism, sodomy, sexual crimes against nature. The demon of Nahimah is adultery and fornication. A lot of humanity really revolves within Nahema, but you find that in these times, it's very common to find gay people, people whose bodies are very degenerate. They're born that way because in past lives, they were fornicating with the same sex. And that karma pushed them to create a new body that has, if they're men, they're effeminate. If they're women, they're masculine. So you find that humanity switches between these two extremes. There are people who really psychologically belong to the sphere of Nahimah. People who like fornication with the opposite sex and a lot of lust. Nahimah means beauty. It's fatal beauty. Fatal desire. Yes? Those people are from Lilith because they're so confused about what their sex is that they don't know who they are or what they are. So they, they identify themselves with some other label. But really the body is decayed, the brain is decayed because that, they perpetuate those habits. So you see that in these times, humanity worships Lilith and Nahimah. They, they put it on a pedestal. This is all infrasexual. Infrasexuality is, means inferior sexuality relating to demons. 
It's very rare to find people who have normal sexuality now. Because to be sexually normal means to be transmuting. That's what's normal for human beings, angels. Or better said, for people who are beginning this path. But then there are supersexual beings, meaning those masters like Muhammad, Krishna, Moses, Buddha, who learn to create the solar bodies. They are superior in their use of sexuality. Of course, in order to work and achieve those heights, we begin with where we're at. So do not abandon hope, but be consistent. So that experience I mentioned to you, in the path of the ninth arcanum, you descend into the earth in order to reascend. Samael and Vior explained in the perfect matrimony that there are different types of mysteries. There are nine mysteries of uh, there are nine minor mysteries, which is a probationary path. You want to begin these studies. They give you inspirations and experiences in the beginning. In order that you are training your body, your mind, your energies to circulate and to transmute, to be chaste. When the time comes, after passing the nine minor mysteries, or in accordance with karma, you find a spouse. And with a matrimony, one can work in the major mysteries. Learning to raise the serpent of the kundalini, the Hebrew letter tet, up the different bodies of the tree of life. When you raise the serpent of Kundalini up the first body, Malkut, the physicality, you achieve the first initiation of major mysteries. With the second body, Yesod, vitality, the second major mysteries, second major initiation of major mysteries. Likewise, with the third, you raise the Kundalini up the vehicle of the astral body in its mechanical state, its lunar state. You create a solar astral body you achieve the third initiation of major mysteries. With the kundalini of the mental body, we achieve the fourth initiation of major mysteries and create a solar mind. And lastly, we create the solar causal body relating to the Tifereth. When we raise the serpent up the spine of that embryonic body in order to form our human willpower, Christic will. So this is the path of the second birth which is achieved precisely through the ninth sphere, a matrimony, a marriage. Symbolically speaking, to descend into the ninth sphere is to get married, where one faces many trials, temptations, and ordeals in the sexual act. Because temptation is most strong when husband and wife are together, when the energies of fires of love are aroused, are inspired. The difficulty then is learning to circulate that energy up the spine to the brain and to the heart and not to build up so much fire that one loses that power through too, many, too much movement, too much passionate lust. In the beginning, students learn to transmute in accordance with their level, their degree. But with, tra- but with training, one learns to circulate that power, especially through cooperation within the couple. It's very common, in, it was common in ancient times in monasteries for monks and nuns to practice individually for years, learning to circulate their energies through pranayama, runes, mantras, sacred rites, in order to get them ready for a marriage. Which is why this is called the Hermetic Wisdom. It wasn't made public until the 1950s. 
So as I explained about initiation, we learn to ascend the nine heavens, the nine sephiroth above Malkut, by working in a matrimony. Ibn Arabi discussed the nature of the nine heavens and the nine hells in his writings. He's a Sufi initiate, considered the greatest of the Sufi lineage. He said, Kabbalistically, when we compare all existence to what exists in us, and God's attributes manifest in the macrocosm, the universe, to what is manifest in us as the microcosm, our psychology, then we see that the enormity, almost the infinity, of the 18,000 universes and the small, limited existence of the human being who has a very short span of life. Of course, 18,000 is not a literal number. Nine plus nine is 18. Nine heavens, nine hells. It's talking about how the universe is, is outside of us, but also inside. And if we want to enter initiation, we must become very familiar with our own microcosmos, our body, our physicality, and to learn to use it with esoteric procedures. We talked about the nine planets of alchemy relating to the nine heavens, but also the nine hells. In Kabbalah, as we explained in Arcanum 2, we must return to Ein Sof, our superatomic star from which we emanated. That light had descended down the tree of life, the power of Tum, the Logos, Keter, Chukmah, Binah, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, descend into more complicated levels of matter, energy, and consciousness. So entering Malkut, our body, our ninth sphere, Yasod. So we must return that light in order to generate more understanding. In order to enter the heavenly realms, we must enter the door that we exited, which is sex, Eden. The word Eden in Hebrew is, is, uh, means bliss, pleasure. Just as a child emerged from the door of sex, after the seed entered it, so must we return to that same doorway. Instead of expelling the energies of the orgasm, we never waste that power. This is the law of the second birth. Now, with the second birth, just as a man and wife cannot create a child, I better said, just as a man or woman cannot create a child without, without each other, likewise, we cannot create the solar bodies without a matrimony. Which is why Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Because the water is your semen. The Spirit of God is your breath, the prana. And with pranayama, you're circulating that energy in a simple way. You're training your body little by little. But with a matrimony, it's more profound. Because with, uh, with the powers of husband and wife, you can create a, a living being. It's the power of creation, of the, any galaxy, any universe. It's the power of sex. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Meaning through orgasm, you have a physical child. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The solar bodies are also known as Tosoma Heliacon. Helios means sun. So the solar bodies are Tosoma Heliacon. Helios is the Christ, the solar logos, Apollo. And Icon means image. To be made into the image of God is to 
create the solar bodies. So if you're in the astral plane and you ask your being, what is my level of being? Do I have these vehicles? If you see yourself in armor, it means you have those bodies. Libas al-taqwa means you created them in the past. So this path of creating solar bodies is the path of conquering the moon, as we've been discussing. The sun and the card of the hermit descends while the moon ascends. This refers to how we must conquer the lunar influence, the powers of the moon. We know that the moon physically relates to many forces in nature that influence us. We know that there's the sprouting of vegetables, ovulation in women, menstruation, the flux and reflux of oceans. Yes, so the, pause, so the moon has, is dualistic physically. There's positive influences and there's negative influences. And so we've discussed in other lectures that we should learn to take advantage of the positive forces of the moon and work against the negative, psychologically speaking. In the ninth sphere, is something very important, very important dynamic. Those masters, or better said, those initiates who reach the fifth initiation of major mysteries, obtain the title of master in the beginning level. When you achieve the fifth initiation of major mysteries, if you worked in a matrimony, you've created the solar bodies, solar astral, solar mental, solar causal, as well as the Tosoma Suchikon, the psychic body of Yasod, which crystallizes the physicality. A certain path opens up for the initiate. By reaching the fifth initiation of fire, the Logos presents, or certain guardians of the temple of Tifereth presents a decision that the initiate must make, whether to follow the direct path to the absolute or turn to this path of nirvana, the spiral path. In the spiral path, those masters remain in that dimension of nirvana relating to Atman, Buddhi, Manas. And they slowly ascend towards the absolute with very little difficulty and challenge. They work on their ego little by little. They stay in the heavenly realms. They don't descend back into the earth or Malkut in order to help humanity. But there are those who enter the straight path and those who choose to renounce heaven in order to return to Malkut so as to provide help to humanity, to help those who suffer. And by that sacrifice, they incarnate Christ, the Lord. And that path is very revolutionary because they are going to work to eliminate the entirety of the ego in one life. So compare the Nirvanis who work on the ego little by little for many cosmic ages. But a bodhisattva who incarnates Christ, who has created the solar bodies and has renounced nirvana, chooses to return to help humanity and therefore can incarnate the Lord and will work for the elimination of the ego in one life. Very radical. Those masters who, of the straight path, who return to Malkut, they may have a choice whether to return to the ninth sphere or to be in abstention. 
Those masters who reach that degree because they're communicating face-to-face with divinity have uh, the ability to communicate with God so they can receive answers easily. Therefore, those type of masters are more accountable for their actions. And God says, if really, I want you to cease sexual magic for a time, then uh, the initiate must follow that order. Or if the master's being says, I need you to work in alchemy further, develop yourself with more power, then the initiate must do so. This is the difference between a descent and a fall. Some masters are told, descend into the ninth sphere again. Work harder. I need you to, do, to follow the direct path. Now I mentioned that there are two different ways that a master can walk in a marriage or by abstaining from sex. Either to continue working in alchemy, as I said, or to abstain for a time, to be celibate. But this is not the type of celibacy that, we, that many people advocate in these times. If you have solar bodies, it's easy to uh, see that those energies will circulate naturally because one has trained oneself for many uh, years. But people who don't know anything of transmutation, being celibate, get burned by that energy. You see that, what's happened with priests in the Catholic Church, specifically. So one thing we'll talk about is that uh, the work with the ninth sphere is very difficult. And if the being commands that master of the straight path to descend, return to a matrimony, and to continue working, the bodhisattva must follow. But there are some monads or masters, beings, that say, I don't want you to work in alchemy just yet. I want you to pause, to take a break, do some necessary training. You find that is the case with the present Dalai Lama. He's a bodhisattva, he has solar bodies, but he's not married. He's working, but he's following what we call the dry path. Meaning, not working with a marriage in a, with husband, as husband and wife. The human path is the work of alchemy. So, those masters who don't know how to obey the being, they fall sexually because they decide to take out a partner even though the being says, I don't want you to. You have to remember that those masters have a certain degree of knowledge and responsibility. They're told, since you've developed yourself and you know me intimately, I don't want you to return to sex anymore. I want you to abstain. And those who disobey the commandments of God, they fall. Because sex is easily tempts, manipulates. In relation to the second birth, we have the mysteries of the celestial Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, which is where in the book of Revelation we find the teachings of Arcanum 9. So there's a couple lines I'd like to relate to you from this text that discuss the nature of the human being in relation to Yesod. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. 144,000 is 1 plus 4 plus 4, again, plus zero, the zeros, equals 9, the ninth sphere. To be chosen means to work with chastity, to redeem one's psyche by working with that power. And I looked, and lo, and a lamb stood on the Mount of Zion, and with him in 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. We often talk about these studies that 
the intellect is demonic. And to have the name of God written on one's forehead is a symbol of how by raising the powers of sex to the brain, we cleanse the mind of its impurities. The celestial Jerusalem is also discussed as being the perfected human being who works with the Arcanum 9, sexual magic, as stated in the following verses. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and shewed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was unto like a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, which reminds us of the emerald city of Otz, Oz, the heavenly city of the magician, the priest. And it had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. So the number twelve relates to the zodiac, the twelve tribes of Israel, relating to the twelve signs of, the, of astrology. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three, great, three gates. Referring to the four elements, fire, air, water, and earth, which is what the elements we work with in order to transform the psyche. So the perfected human being who works in the ninth sphere also perfects all those zodiacal qualities in him or herself. Relating to the fire is Aries, Leo, and Sagittarius. Relating with the air is Gemini, Libra, and Aquarius. Water relates to Cancer, Scorpio, and Pisces. And the earth relates to Taurus, Virgo, and Capricorn. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations relating to Arcanum 12, which we'll be discussing in a future lecture. And in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he, and he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. So what is that golden reed? It's a spine. Or the golden path that Dorothy takes to Oz. Otz. Otz Haim, the tree of life. Otz Hadat Tobera, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So you are measured in this path in relation to initiation based on the work of your spine. How much gold you've raised up the spinal vertebrae, the mountain path of initiation. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth, and he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, 144,000, or 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. So one plus four plus four and plus zeros is nine. So to be a perfected human being is to work in the ninth sphere. To be born of sexuality. Remember that in the Greek myths, Medusa is killed in the ninth sphere. Perseus kills Medusa by working with the shield and the sword. Not looking directly into the eyes of the ego, one's defects, but using the reflection of the shield, one's um, consciousness in order to, with a sort of willpower to kill that beast. So we'll move on to the next lecture. Ah, next. Yes, and again... The, I believe the word... Ma, I'm trying to remember what the... I don't remember what the Hebrew word is for, for shield... But again, the shield relates to the solar bodies, you know, working with that energy that you've accumulated 
in order to defend oneself. So Perseus uses the shield, his, uh, the power of his consciousness channeled through the solar bodies in order to fight against the ego, to fully eliminate it, which is all contained in the mysteries of Basil Valentine. We see Saturn falling and the goddess moon rising, a symbol of death and transmutation. This means that the terrestrial atom, which is us, dies psychologically. And the heavenly Adam, Adam Kadmon, is born. It's a symbol of how by purifying the consciousness through the work of Yasod, we transform ourselves. We know from our studies that human beings return in different existences. People who achieve or use 108 bodies of a humanoid type in order to exist. Again, relating to the 12 zodiacal signs, because 12 times uh, 9, I believe, or 12 times, uh, we basically retur- we return to each zodiacal sign nine times, I believe. Referring to how we gain experiences as a soul in different zodiacal influences, relating to the laws of return and recurrence, the transmigration of souls. Or what people denominate reincarnation, but we in these studies call return, recurrence. We see here that there are three serpents relating to the alchemical elements of salt, sulfur, and mercury, which we discussed in Arcanum 3. Salt is the brute semen, nefesh, animal soul, the brute material that can be transformed into energy. Sulfur is the fire, the creative energies of the kundalini, also relating to neshama, the holy, the holy soul, the divine soul. And mercury relates to the energy of the semen itself, the metallic soul of the sperm, which is what we extract from each sperm or ovum in order to raise it up the spine. Mercury relates to ruach and Kabbalah, the thinking emotional soul. We see also the sign of the, the phoenix, a symbol of how the soul resurrects through death. Through the ashes of the ego, the soul emerges. The solar bodies are created. We find also the ego of volatility. An eagle in the internal planes refers to the Father, the Lord, to the being. We also find the crow of putrefaction referring to the death of the ego. Because without death, there is no resurrection. The soul cannot be born if the ego does not die. In order to be transformed into a swan of the Holy Spirit, an immaculate soul, in a fesh chaya, one must learn to eliminate the ego completely. We find that this circle represents the continuity of existence, of life, of the being, the eternal, the eternal now in which we exist. So without death, and struggle against the ego, we cannot change. And Arcanum 9 is precisely the repentance we feel when we see every ego in action and we feel remorse for having created it. And that through consistent work, we eliminate those faults gradually, which is accomplished through the work with the Hebrew serpent, Tet. So at the end of each lecture on the Torah, we also talk about the Hebrew alphabet.
Chet is the ninth letter relating to our column nine. In the Psalms, Psalm 119, certain verses begin with certain letters of the Hebrew alphabet. The following verses, 65 through 72, all begin with Tet, which you can see at the very far right of each verse, read from right to left. Some of these verses really elaborate many of the things we are explaining in this course. In order to introduce to you the mysteries of Tet, I'd like to read from the Psalms. Excuse me. You have done good for your servant, O Yot Chava, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for in your commandments I have believed, meaning the commandments of chastity, transmutation. Before when I was afflicted I went astray, but now I have kept your word, meaning by being chaste and pure, purifying oneself in meditation. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes in meditation, but also in the astral plane, which is where real knowledge is gained. The proud have forged a lie against me. I will keep your precepts with all my heart. Tifereth. Like fat without feeling is their heart, but in your law, the great arcanum, the ninth sphere, I take delight. It is for my good that I was afflicted, so that I might learn your statutes. Again, this is the mysteries of Arcanum 9. We cannot change if we don't face ordeals, if we don't suffer for our mistakes. Without suffering the consequences of our actions, we won't have the experience necessary to not have the resolution to not go back, to not go backwards. The law of your mouth, da'at in Hebrew, the verb, is better to me than thousands of gold and silver. So again, gold relates to Pingala, the solar serpent. Silver relates to Ida, the lunar serpent. But your law, meaning the kundalini that rises up the spine to the brain, that is better than thousands of gold and silver. Because when you work as an individual practitioner, single, you work with the gold and silver of your spine, the two channels. But when a matrimony, you work with the serpent kundalini, the great law. Yes, and in, in uh, Hindu yoga, Shushumna is the channel of the spine in which the Kundalini rises. So in our last glyph, we see a few images. We find the Hebrew letter Tat transposed above Shiva Shakti, referring to the masculine and feminine aspects of the Holy Spirit. We also find the Ouroboros, the serpent biting its tail, a symbol of the infinite and a symbol of the continuity of life, as we mentioned. And on the right we have the tree of life with the two serpents, Od, Od, and Aor. Od is the solar serpent. Od is the lunar serpent. And Aur is the light of Kundalini that rises up the spine in a matrimony. We talked about the serpent Nachash in our previous lectures. Nachash is serpent in the original Hebrew. And so the Nachash was the most subtle behemoth of the Shaddeh. The serpent was the most subtle beast of the field. We talked about Shaddai, the holy name of God, the Almighty One as being the sexual power of the serpent 
within the field. The field is where the wheat grows, the solar Eucharist, the creative energies, referring to Yesod. So the serpent emerges from our sex, sexual organs, from the base of our spine. And Tet, as a Hebrew letter, resembles the previous Hebrew letters we discussed. Vav and Zain, or better said, Vav and Zain, right to left, looking at Shiva Shakti. Vav is Shiva, the masculine aspect of God. Zain is the feminine aspect of God, Shakti. These are the two powers of the Holy Spirit, the two serpents that rise up the spine, and which, resembling husband and wife physically, explain the symbiosis of male-female, Adam-Eve, in order to generate Aur, light. Let there be light, and there was light. Yehi Aur, Vayhi Aur. So the serpent Tet is dualistic. It can be positive or negative. When the serpent Kundalini rises up the spine, it is positive. When the serpent Kunda buffer descends from the Cossacks, it's the tail of the demons. It is lunar, negative. We talked in our previous lecture that Samael, the angel of Mars, relates to the serpent because the Zohar talks about that power of Samael riding upon a serpent. Samael inside of us is the power of Mars, the sexual strength we have, which typically tempts most people. But if you're like Jacob, who wrestles with the angel Samael, one can conquer that angel. And after conquering that power of sex, as in the myth of Genesis, one learns to, or one is renamed, we can say, Israel. Isis Ra'el. Isis, the Divine Mother. Ra, the Solar God. The Father. El, the Spirit. One attains an initiation by conquering that power. So, Arcanum 9, as I said, relates to Mars and Aries, because Samael relates to Aries in the head and Scorpio in sex. When Samael, the serpent, rises, one becomes a warrior, acquires the shield of Perseus, the garments of reverence, libas al-taqwa. Tet is also represented in ancient Hebrew as a circle, which is why we included the Ouroboros, the serpent biting its tail, along with the cross of St. Andrew, which alchemically represents the mixture of salt, sulfur, and mercury. In a matrimony, we combine masculine feminine elements, elements in order for the brute salt to be transformed into mercury and fire. And then through the breath, one circulates that energy. It also refers to the crossing of nefesh, ruach, neshama, as we explained. The path of Andrew, the cross, is the path of sacrifice, which is the Arcanum 9. Arcanum 9 teaches us that if we want to achieve initiation, we must sacrifice for humanity. We must help humanity in accordance with our disposition, our qualifications, our nature, our abilities. It means that we sacrifice certain comforts, egotistically speaking, in order to aid humanity. So Tat also relates to the tree of knowledge of Tob Ve Ra. The word Tob means goodness. It is, begins with the letter Tat. Purity and impurity, Tob and Ra. To be pure, to follow the path of the tree of goodness, or better said, the good side of the tree of life, 
is to work in transmutation. But to work with impurity is to follow uh, degeneration, fornication. Tet relates to the Hebrew letter Zayin, which rises up the spine, the staff of the magician. The serpent Tet rises up our Vav, our spine, from our sexual organs, which is Bet. Tet, Vav, Bet spells Tob. So the serpent that rises from your sexual organs, the house of your body, Bet, up the Vav, the spine, represents goodness, to be good, to follow the pure side of the tree of knowledge. But if one is a fornicator, one follows the path of Ra, not to be confused with Osiris Ra, but the demon of degeneration, the demonic quality of fornication. You find that Yod is contained within Tet. We talked about the tenth letter of Kabbalah frequently, how it's a point. And you see that these letters, or this letter Tet represents a Vav and Zayin together, men and women united. I'd like to read for you an excerpt from the Zohar, very brief, that talks about the mysteries of the Hebrew letter Tet as the power of the serpent. And how in the days of Genesis, we find the letter Tet involved. The word for goodness is Tob, Tet Vav Bet. And in the initial day of Genesis, we find God saw the light, Ki Tob, was good, from Genesis chapter 1, verse 4. We have learned every dream enjoying the status of Ki Tob, that it was good, fosters peace above and below. Because through working with the serpent of Tet, one attains initiation, one generates light. Let there be light and there was light. Goodness, Aor, the Kundalini. So when God says, and that was good, refers to how that serpent has risen up the spine of our physical body. And we have obtained the first initiation of Genesis, the first initiation of major mysteries. One sees letters corresponding to his ways, every single one. If he sees Tet, or Tav, which is Tet and Vav together, Tet and Bet together, if he sees Tet and Bet together, good for him, good for his dream. For Torah inaugurated it with Ti Ki Tov, that it was good, radiating from one, radiating from one end of the universe to the other. Tav, good, consummate radiance. Tet, ninth letter of all a letter radiating from the primordial one above, contained within, coming to be in the, the secrecy of the point, the mystery of Yod, singular point. We mentioned that Yod represents a dot. It represents the sperm of the ovum. also relates to the power of Keter, who is the tenth sephir of the tree of life. And Yod is the first letter that emerges from existence, a point, a dot of light. So we find that power of Tum, the Logos, in our sperm or the ovum, the point, the dot. And that serpent power of Tet emerges from that semen, or better said, the sperm and the ovum, that primordial point. From its energy emerged Vav, whereby heaven came into being. This is very profound. Because if you take the letter Yod, you extend it, the point, into a line, you form Vav, the spine. And when you take the power of the semen, 
the power of the sperm or ovum and, and transform it through alchemy. It rises up the spine and heaven comes into being. You create the solar bodies. You enter the heavenly realms. When it culminated in a single point and it was hidden within a letter, bet, or better said, when it culminated in a single point and it was hidden within a letter, bet glowed. So when this path is culminated, consummated in a matrimony, your bet, your house, your body glows with light, with purity, with energy. From it emerged above and below, above concealed, meaning the top trinity of the tree of life, below revealed the mystery of the two, male, female, Adam, Eve, Shiva, Shakti, husband and wife, existing by that Christic energy above, we can say. This is tob, good, or goodness. These three letters, tet, vav, and bet, later merged into the righteous one of the world, who embraces all, above and below, as is said, say of the righteous one, ki tob, that he is good, from Isaiah chapter 3, verse 10. For a supernal radiance contained within him, within him as is written, Jehovah is tob, good, to all, to all unspecified, illuminating one day, illuminating all, supreme above all, until here, obscurity of words. So again, the language is very dense, symbolic, but it refers to how through working with your physicality as a man or woman, husband and wife, the bet, the body of the house of God, is elevating those energies up the vav, the spine. And that serpent rising up the spine along with the vav and your body, your bet, is tob, goodness, to develop purity. So tet, in this sense, the word tob, goodness, is mentioned throughout the days of Genesis. In the first day of Genesis, the earth was formless and void, relating to Malkut. Our mind is still undeveloped. Our consciousness is still weak filled with darkness. Darkness was upon the face of the deep, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and saw that the light was good. Kitob. One initiation of fire. In the second day of Genesis, the waters separated from the waters above and below. In this second day of Genesis, God does not say, and it was good, precisely because in Yasod there is still uncertainty. Through sex one can rise, but through sex, one can fall. In the third day of Genesis, relating to Hod, the astral body, God says, let the dry land appear, meaning the solar body of the astral vehicle, and vegetation with seed in it. God said it was good, Kitob, another initiation of fire. That serpent Tet rose up the spine of the astral body through that bet, that body, that vehicle. And God said it was good. On the fourth day of Genesis, we find Netzach, the solar mental body. Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky for days and for years, referring to the heavenly states of consciousness of the mental vehicle. God said it was good. In the fifth day, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures. Great sea monsters, Tanim, or Taninim, meaning the whales, the serpents, of, of initiation, the masters who have conquered the waters. Those creeping things from the waters, the swarms of every kind, 
And God said, be fruitful and increased. Be fruitful and rabah, which really, literally means be fruitful and rabbi, master, control oneself. The sixth day of Genesis, and again with the fifth day, God said it was good. In the sixth day, let the earth bring forth creeping things of the earth, beasts and cattle. And God made man into his image. Male, female, he created them. And God said it was very good. So the word very good in Hebrew is tob meod. So why is that very good? Because tob reminds us of the serpent ob in Hebrew, the solar energy that's been fully perfected in, one, in, the, in the initiate. Me'od reminds us of od, relating to the feminine creative sexual energy. So a perfected man made into the image of God, someone who's reached the, the sixth sephirah of the tree of life, Giburah, is one who has raised those serpents within him or herself. Vav and Zayin are manifest, male, female. God said it was very good because those two channels are circulating the energies properly, completely. And on the seventh day, God rested, the Sabbath, the Saturn day, the holy day, relating to Chesed, the Spirit. Yes? I didn't, I didn't plan it. So those who are listening on the website, we have this lecture on the ninth day of, of uh, September, the ninth month. But uh, with the serpent Tet, we can say that the power of Tet is the power of Shatan, the word for Satan, the devil. Shin is fire, as we explained. Tet is the serpent kundalini or kundabuffer. And noon is the sperm or ovum. The power of Satan, the adversary, is in sex. Shatan. And so, that energy, if it's not tamed and controlled, produces damnation. Because that fire can be controlled and harnessed to create light, or it can burn oneself. When a person fornicates, ejaculates the sexual energy, they're burned by the orgasm spiritually. The fire is expelled, and better said, the noon, the sperm or ovum, is ejaculated as well. And therefore, that serpent, tet, descends. The word for sin in, in Hebrew is chet, as we discussed in our Kalamit. The word chet is literally spelled chet tav aleph. And we explain that chet is the power of life, of sex. If one ejaculates the power of chet through the orgasm, then the serpent tet, instead of ascending, it descends. Some island Vior gives the following explanation i like to read for you in order to relate the Hebrew Kabbalah to his statements. He explains that during the ordinary sexual act, or during ordinary sexual contact, the intellectual animal spills millions of solar atoms of very high voltage. The solar atoms of Chaya, life, Chet, which we say in parentheses. These are immediately replaced by billions of satanic atoms from the secret enemy. And these are collected from within the atomic infernos of the human being by means of the process of contraction, the orgasm of the sexual organs, after the coitus. 
When the semen is not spilled, then the solar atoms return inward and upward through Ida and Pingala. Then the solar atoms extraordinarily multiply in quantity and quality. Be fruitful and rabbi, be fruitful and master, increase. When these types of abnormal satanic atoms, which are accumulated through the orgasm, when they intend to rise up to the Golgatha of the Father, the brain, they violently are cast down through the Cossacks by the three Akashic breaths that work in Ida, Pingala, and Shushumna. So what are these three Akashic breaths? It's the power of the Logos above, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But also refers to the powers of Chesed, Giburah, and Tiferet. So Ida, Pingala are the masculine-feminine currents, the solar lunar energies, or serpents, the currents up our Shushumna, our spine. When someone reaches the orgasm, the negative atoms of Klipot are assimilated through the orgasm, through the contraction of the phallus or the, or the, or the uterus in order to send those energies back up the brain. But the Akashic breath, the three primary forces from our being, prevents those negative lunar atoms from ascending. Instead, it projects them down. And that's why the demons form the tail of Satan. So these types of malignant atoms, or seminal atoms, are precipitated through Ida and Pingala. They violently struggle in order to reach the brain. However, all of their efforts are useless because the three Akashic breaths cast them down against that region of the Cossacks where a malignant atom has its habitat and also the power to place the abominable Kundabufer organ into activity. So what are these three Akashic breaths? It's the three yods of the Hebrew letter Aleph and the word Chet, which means sin. So as Samael and Vior explains, if you ejaculate your semen, the power of life, Chet, that serpent, Tet, instead of rising up the spine, is stopped by the three Akashic breaths, which is Aleph, the three Yods of Het. And that serpent, instead of going up, it descends, forming the tail of the Kunda buffer. So it's interesting that, you know, Samael and Vior didn't use the Hebrew the letters in this, but obviously the Kabbalists correlate his affirmations. So within any ordinary person, the igneous serpent of our magical powers remains enclosed within the cosigial center. It is coiled up in a marvelous way three and a half times. We convert ourselves into angels when the serpent Tat rises through the medullar canal. However, we convert ourselves into terribly malignant de- lunar demons when the serpent Tat descends down the spine, when the serpent precipitates from the Cossacks downwards into the atomic infernals of the human being. The rising serpent is Kundalini. The falling serpent is the abominable Kundabuffer organ. We have some mantras relating to sexual magic, the ninth sphere, that one can use. The very famous mantras from the perfect matrimony, E, A, O, referring to Ignis Agua Origo, fire, water, and spirit. For one must be born again of water and spirit. When, some, when the husband and wife are sexually connected, they can pronounce the mantras, e- one breath. Another breath. Oh. 
the supreme mantras of sexual alchemy. In conclusion, I'd like to emphasize that the path of the ninth sphere has been taught by many initiates in secret, especially by Beethoven. The ninth sphere is represented in the ninth symphony of Beethoven, his magnum opus, which, before we take some questions, I'd like to play you a short clip from that piece in order to talk about and summarize really the main points of this lecture.
So in that brief clip, we heard the famous choral movement of Beethoven, where the music we initiated began right before the chorus, uh, before the first male singer begins, I believe the tenor, or the bass, excuse me. He says, oh friends, not these tones, rather let us sing more cheerful and joyful ones. So again, the beginning of that piece was the sufferings of the Ninth Arcanum, the ordeals that the initiate is facing and suffering with. And so the initiates, the gods, say to that soul, don't be, dis- don't be despairing without hope. Instead, remember your true nature. Joy, beautiful spark of the gods, daughter of Elysium, 
meaning Kater. We approach thy heavenly sanctuary with fire. The word for sanctuary in German is Heiligtum. Heilig means holy. Tum, we did the mantra at the beginning of this lecture. So through the fire of Kundalini, we return back to the source, the absolute. Your magic reunites what stern custom sternly divides, meaning what the ego, the suffering and the conflict of the ego provides. All people, all people become brothers under your gentle wing. Whosoever succeeds in the great attempt of this path of initiation to be a friend of a friend, whoever has won a lovely woman, let him add to his jubilation because when husband and wife are together, they produce the ecstasy of the soul. Yes, whoever calls even one's soul his own on the earth's globe, and him who never has owned his soul, let him steal weeping away from this group, meaning enter into the infernal worlds to be devolving, decayed. All creatures drink joy at the breasts of nature, the Divine Mother, because the Divine Mother can be positive, the solar serpent, or negative, the lunar serpent. All the good, all the evil, follow her rose's trail, either in heaven above or in the devolving worlds. Kisses she gave us and wine. Wine we discussed in our lectures on Sufism, the Kundalini power that one gets drunk upon. A friend proven unto death. Pleasure was, was given to the worm and the cherub stands before God. So what is that worm? It's us. We have desire, we have egotism, but we have the potential to become a dragon, a master. So the cherubs the German says, Undu Kerub steht for God. And the chorus repeats, For God, in a very prolonged way, which reminds us of Shema Yisrael, Yod Chavai Elohinu, Yod Chavai Achad, to be blinded by the light of God. One covers one's eyes when one is directly with the being. To not look directly at that source of any initiate. I remember one experience in the astral plane where I invoked Samael in Vior, and I was with him in a group of Gnostics. I asked him telepathically to show me his light, which he did. But it was so overwhelming that my ego reacted. I felt terrified. So that reminded me of the saying of the Shema. You cover your eyes in respect instead of looking directly at that, that light. So you hear in that chorus, the, and the cherubs stand before God, for God prolonged, like a mantra. The power of divinity is overwhelming. We have the tenor after this chorus and a, a, a tube instrument is, begins with a pace. That's us, the soul that is awakening for the first time and is beginning to march on the path of initiation or approaching the path of initiation. So the tenor joins... Gladly as his sons fly throughout the heaven's glorious plan. Run, brothers, on your race, joyful as a hero in victory. And of course, after that chorus of male singers, you hear the music, the path itself, which begins very easy with a lot of excitement, but then there's all these ordeals and pain and suffering. And it gets difficult and more difficult and more difficult the further you go. But if you are determined and you want the goal, the very end, one obtains the chorus of reuniting with the divinity. The Freud has shown on Joy, beautiful spark of the gods. You've returned to your source. You've, you have obtained a column nine. Do you have any questions? Do you practice 
the thing to really concentrate upon is visualizing the circulation of energies. And when you are raising them to your brain, such as with hamsa, you're focusing on the mind. But with pranayama, again, you send it to the brain and then to the heart, respectively. Well, with those type of exercises, use your will. You direct it. Yeah, but you use your will first to bring it to the mind and then, and then the heart? Yes. To the mind and then to the heart. So it all involves willpower. How does the relationship work? How does pranayama, is there a connection when you do that between that and, as you pointed out, acoustic force that's rising in the male? Well, prana is, uh, the Hebrew letter Aleph is Christ. Because the three dots of LF is the three primary forces. That's above. That's like prana. That's related to prana. Yeah, and your semen is prana, condensed, okay. crystal energy. And you're circulating the prana, which comes from the outside, so you can take in you see the breath. How is what's the connection between that and the latent, whatever the force you already have in your process? So the, that seminal matter is condensed prana. It's sexual energy. That's, it's the Christic power that's in a material state. And transmutation is mutating that matter into energy. So with pranayama, with the wind, you're circulating the waters, over, you're circulating the, the air of your breath with the waters of sex in order to produce genesis. You're activating what you have already in a way that's accumulated here, right? Exactly. It's part of transmutation. So the nature we want to follow is Christic. But there's also mechanical lunar nature relating to the mind, the ego. Well, I'm talking about the technocratic societies that we live in right now. Right, and that society, that society is followed by the negative aspect of the moon, Lilith and Ahema. So that's the nature, everyone, the mechanical, devolving, degenerative nature people follow. But uh, the solar path is something different. Solar nature, divine nature which is harmony, harmony, peace. Leo 
Yeah. When you go to a vegetarian diet, and when you kill only what you need, or you have sex only when you need to, just like the animals do, we're the only animal that has sex every day. What other animal does that? They know when they need to have sex. This is all about us not being in touch with nature. And the nature we need to be in touch with is, as in the poem by Schiller and the, the chorus of Beethoven, uh, both the evil and the righteous ones follow the path of roses. They both follow after nature, right? You remember that quote? The line is, the good and the evil, the good and the bad, follow her trail of roses. Because the Divine Mother can be positive nature, above, heavenly, or demonic, animalistic, below. But wouldn't you say, just anyone who lives in New York, Chicago, LA, or in these technocratic societies, we're going to struggle as long as we keep killing the earth and killing, killing animals and killing each other. This is not... This, 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 Rudolf Steiner said the earth is a living being. Oh, it's an organism. That's no doubt. Yeah, he said we were abusing it. He died in 1926. China and America are tumors. That's all they are. I mean, this goes, this goes deeper. This go, and this goes back to everything you talk about. But in order for us to, to do anything, we're going to have to coincide with nature. Meaning grow our own food, meaning get back to basics. As long as we have the internet and TV and all this demonic stuff, we can do all this as much as we want. The earth is going to die. We're, we're going to die. The earth won't die, but we're going to die. Like, Some island VR mentioned that the earth is going to go through a great cleansing, which it already right. has. We, hear, we saw with Hurricane, was it Irene now? Yeah, I mean, we're going through it right now. So that's, nat- that's, that's nature cleansing the tumor of its right. cancer. And those forces are going to get more extreme because our society is, is too evil. We kill 11 billion animals a year just in America. And this is, we put them in slaughterhouses where they're, we're taken in. If you look at the, the Hopi Indians, they talk about when, the, when you have fear of that animal, you take in the fear of the animal and you go eat this, this meat. So, so it's a... That's why it's important in these studies eat as healthy as possible. Right. Because you want your intestinal system, your tract, your digestive system to be clean. Because if your stomach is clean, you assimilate more prana better. I just want to add one thing. Throughout this summer, I've, I've gotten a lot better as far as the lust and everything. And I can, I can credit that to becoming a vegetarian, number one, and spending as much time in nature. Because I, I feel the difference. You feel the, the, your psyche, the amount of worries that you have when you're in this, the, this urban society. And then you go out to Wisconsin, you're like, wow, there's no, no negative thoughts whatsoever. This is why Nietzsche said, I love the forest. Sure. Too, in the cities, too many are in lust and heat and passion. And then as far as the meditation where you, I just want to get this in because I got to go, do you hold it in? So you go like, and then. So with pranayama, you concentrate on your heart as well as your mind. You close with, with, with this pranayama, you close your right nostril with your thumb. Your three fingers should be in your palm. Inhale to the left nostril. Imagine the creative energies rising from the opposite gonad, up the spine to the brain. Hold that energy by closing both nostrils. Imagine that light saturating your brain. And then when you exhale to the, to the right nostril, I'm better said uh, to the other nostril, you imagine the light descending to the heart. Yeah, so you, wanna, you start with the left, inhale, hold, exhale to the right. And then you do the same process with the other nostril. Hold it as natural for you. You, know, you want to be prolonged, but you don't want to force your lungs to strain itself. Pranayama is very gentle. Precisely because our greatest strength 
and transmutation emerges through gentleness. So imagination, we visualize the energies circulating. You hold your nostrils, the breath, to retain that energy in the brain. And then you exhale through the nostril, send it to the heart. So it should be very quiet and very relaxed. And you pray the whole time. You ask your Divine Mother to help you transmute. You can read about it in the Yellow Book. There's a few exercises. Uh, but we'll be doing those practices here too. Those doctrines are the doctrines of infrasexuality, of Lilith. But we're not supposed to have any problem. What about just no pride? What about just let's leave each other alone? Like, yeah. Instead, one, one should have dignity, which right. is a conscious quality, meaning the soul, through transmutation, through normal sexuality, one obtains virtue. But people in these times follow the doctrine of either Lilith or Nahimah which is the degenerated use of the ninth sphere. Well, you brought out in the past, and, and the people who want to sell products and their own agenda, commercial, making money, they get behind these things too. The problem with the most is products, ideas, sex, whatever. The dollar is always forever. And so the thing is with, uh, with our society, we talk about the slaughterhouses of animals being killed in a brutal manner. Uh, what, people, what people ignore is that... Uh, the way that we identify with our hatred and our fears, our egos, we are going towards the slaughterhouse. Meaning the infernal dimensions where if you don't willingly meditate on your egos and work on them, nature will do it, mechanical nature will do it for you. That's the path of the abyss. The path of roses, of sweetness, of fatal beauty, of nahima, that leads one down and further and further and further. The one is disintegrated slowly. But if you want to follow the positive path of the kundalini, the Divine Mother above, the heavenly worlds. As a man, once you get a wife. As a woman, once you get a husband. That's what Beethoven was teaching. And that's chorus of the Ninth Symphony is precisely the ecstasy of the soul united with God has returned. The return, again, Tauba in Arabic means to return. And we do so precisely through repentance, through sincerity. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. 
We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.